So on a typical Sunday, I'm in the seats with you guys, but today I'm super excited to be up here um, opening the Word of God with you and leading us together through that. So I want to start with two stories of confused teenagers. The first story is mine. I was 19, and I was hanging out with a Jesuit priest in Spain in front of the Cathedral Vieja. Yes, I did live in Spain for a bit as a missionary before I was deported, but that is a story for a different day. Um, So we're hanging out, and through just engaging with people in the village, I met this man named Roca. He wore white robes and like a funny-looking hat. We'd hang out, and we'd talk about life and God and why somebody would become a priest, because I just didn't understand (laughs) why you'd make that life choice. Um, And so one day he goes, hey, let's pray together. What a great idea. I'm a missionary after all. Why didn't I think of that? And so he, we like bow our heads to pray and he starts out, our father in heaven. And he kind of like glances at me and I can tell by the glances that he's expecting me to join in on the prayer. But I don't know the words. This is a prayer that I've maybe heard my Catholic grandma pray a few times, but I didn't know it. And by the time he got to your kingdom come, your will be done, I was totally exposed as a fraud that didn't know the most famous Christian prayer of all time. And shame flooded my heart. And he prayed it a little bit extra for the both of us. And I sulked home wondering why I had never prayed the Lord's Prayer. Now, second, travel with me to the Sea of Galilee in Jerusalem, where a band of cultural misfits were gathered around their teacher trying to figure out what it looked like to live as God's people in their cultural setting. This group of men were likely teens and young adults who had seen the violence of the Romans and felt the oppression of religion, and they decided that following Jesus was better than any of those options. Today's passage sits right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is laying out what a life looks like to live in God's story. And what we get to learn tonight is how kingdom people pray. Now, it's okay to not know how to pray. These men were walking with Jesus every day, and they were still struggling to know how to pray. So if that's where you are tonight, or maybe your prayer life just needs a little tune-up, I just want you to know you're in good company. So the disciples are asking Jesus how to pray. And Jesus gives them the perfect example of prayer because he's Jesus. Could he do any less? But like them, the problem is we don't flinch towards this type of prayer enough and, and quick enough and often enough. We flinch towards other things like an Amazon wish list prayer where we like rub the magic lamp to get what we want. You know, or I call it a throw up prayer where we just like throw up a prayer real quick, like a request. But we don't take the time to sit and listen to the spirit. We don't take time with God. We're just request, request, or we forget to pray altogether. Guilty. Um, Or the American way of trying to fix it ourselves without prayer. Okay. So at Missio, we want to be a people that are anchored in prayer. But oftentimes we fail, and this isn't new to the church that we are in today. This has been going on for ages. The noise and culture of our day make it really easy for us to drift away from kingdom prayer. In our society where hustle is praised and success is celebrated, we have become a people of action, 
not a people of prayer. Prayer is pretty anti-American if you think about it. So I want to introduce us tonight to a countercultural prayer that Jesus prayed so that we can grow into the type of church that Jesus came to plant. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that illuminates our hearts and teaches us to live the way you intended. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us tonight as we engage with your perfect prayer? Embolden us to not be only a gospel-declaring people, but also a people whose hearts turn to prayer time and time again. All right, amen. Let's read the text together. Go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. Now, this book is written by Matthew, who was a tax collector until one day when Jesus found him and said, hey, Matthew, why don't you come follow me? And he did, which is pretty cool. Um, And then in chapter 5, we learn that Jesus saw crowds gathering. So he went um, up a mountain and he sat down, which some believe this is that mountain. And he began to teach his disciples. And as he taught them, the crowds would listen in. So this is something I didn't realize before I studied, um, studied it deeper. I never pictured the Sermon on the Mount to be a conversation between Jesus and his closest friends, but that's what it was. It was a rabbi teaching his students. And it was really common in those days for rabbis to teach their students lots of things, especially how to pray. So let's jump in. We're going to start in verse uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read the whole thing together once, and then we're going to go back and pause at each verse. Let's read. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So our Father, right? The first two words. Um, We see uh, the pronouns us and our all throughout this prayer, which is a really theologically rich reminder that we're brothers and sisters collectively. Jesus using our and us is really intentional. We are his children, and he is our father. So the first time God's ever referred to as father is in Exodus 22, when Moses approaches Pharaoh to have uh, captive Israel set free, and they refer to Israel as God's son. So this beautiful picture of God making slaves into sons is mind-blowing. And it's, it's for us today So when Jesus is telling the disciples to call God their father, he's signaling them and us that there is a new exodus coming. Get ready. We are going to be free too, and that is good news. The advent hope of the coming kingdom of God is now. So um, I love how N.T. Wright says it. He says, as soon as someone becomes a Christian, he or she can and must say, our Father. That is one of the marks of grace, one of the first signs of faith, but it will take full Christian maturity to understand and resonate with what those words really mean. So these words create a heart posture of acknowledging the authority of God. When we speak our Father, we're submitting ourselves into the perfect revolutionary love of God. And as we continue to grow into spiritual maturity, 
the depth of that continues to grow. So this statement, our father, is both simple enough for a new believer and a sea of depth for a seasoned one. Then we get to hallowed be your name. Hallowed, hallowed, I, I don't know really the right pronunciation, but it's a funny word. I doubt any of us have ever used it in a conversation, right? So all I want you to know is it just means holy and set apart. So we pray that God's name would be honored and worshiped by the whole of creation. And as we stand in the presence of the living God, surrounded by darkness and pain in our own hearts, we pray that God would fulfill his ancient promises for restoration and redemption for the whole world. And when we pray for the whole world, instead of just our own self-focused prayers, we might discover that God deals with the darkness and pain in our own hearts at the same time. Let's move to verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to ask God's kingdom to come to earth? Previously, his presence was in the tabernacle and the temple. But after Jesus came as a baby, which is crazy in itself, um, the kingdom of God was then ushered in through the person of Jesus. And his life was characterized by a kingdom work as an example to us. Because he ushered in the kingdom, we get to see glimpses of it today but we still live in the tension of not knowing entirely what the kingdom of God will look like. So a helpful way to think about this is like a movie preview. You see the preview and you have a pretty good idea of the plot and the characters, but you're still sitting in the tension waiting for the movie to come out. That's where we find ourselves today. We've seen glimpses and we've participated in the kingdom here these little tastes, right, of the kingdom that break through into our daily lives. But we're still in the tension of waiting for the feature film, for the, for the kingdom to fully come, and for us to know what that looks like. And unlike a movie that you just kind of like couch potato, sit back and consume, the kingdom of God is something that we participate in. So a few weeks I was sitting on the beach in Mexico doing one of my favorite beach activities, people watching. Um, and I was letting my mind kind of go through the Lord's Prayer in preparation for tonight, and I, um, I noticed this man, and he was kind of walking down the beach, and his body just looked like weighed down by the world, and I started to wonder what it would look like for the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, to come into this man's life and to pray that for him as I'm watching him walk down the beach weighed down. And then I let my eyes wander a little bit more, and I, and I wondered, God, what if your kingdom came for the person struggling with body image issues or that parent that's yelling at their kid? Your kingdom come, Lord. Would your kingdom come for my drunk neighbor, my disabled neighbor, my fully abled neighbor? Would your kingdom come for the Afghani refugee for the Taliban terrorists, Lord? Would your kingdom come for the person that has a different view on vaccines than me? God, your kingdom come for the lonely widow, the distracted teen, for you and for me. We don't just pray thy kingdom come. We also participate in the kingdom coming 
into our own hearts and our family and our neighborhood. We are called to be active participants in the ushering in of the kingdom, the breaking through of the kingdom today in Mesa and in Gilbert. Do you notice how it sounds really missional? I want us to take a couple minutes, turn to a few people around you, maybe groups of three or four, and answer this question. Where do you want to see God's kingdom come and will be done? Go ahead and do that now. All right, let's come back together and read verse 11 that says, Give us today our daily bread. So have, have you ever met anyone who doesn't like bread? I haven't ever met anyone who doesn't like bread. Most people agree that passing up a warm a roll at dinner is like unthinkable, right? So, but in our house, we've decided to eat keto. Guess what? Bread is not part of the diet, which is a super big bummer because we like bread just like everybody else. Um, but something blew our minds lately. We found a local bakery that makes keto bread. And after six years of not eating bread or eating gluten-free bread, which is a sad substitute for bread, like no one should call it bread, we were pumped to find actual really good keto bread. If you need recommendations where to find it, let me know later. Um, but my kids now think sliced, this keto bread is the best thing since sliced bread. Literally, it's like the best. They make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, grilled cheese, toast, all the classics. And I found myself having to stock up on like three mega loaves at a time, or else I'm driving to the store every day. <laughs> so um, living in America, it's pretty safe to say that most of us can stock up on a, a week's worth of bread. But that's not the type of bread Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about yesterday's old stale bread, because we stocked up and it went bad, or the bread for tomorrow that hasn't been baked yet. He's talking about the bread that's just enough for this present moment. Today, the word today serves as a reminder that God invites us into more than just stocking up on spiritual food once a week. He wants so much more for us than that. He's constantly welcoming and reminding us that he is worthy of meeting with today. May we not try to store up spiritual food in a storehouse to access when we're starving, but may we instead meet with the Father today and trust that he will give us exactly what we need for every moment of every day. Now, it's no coincidence that before we voice our needs to the Lord, Jesus has showed us how to sit in adoration of the Father. Up to this point, we've been reminded of our identity as his children. We've been encouraged to submit to God's will, and we've been left in awe of the kingdom. And as we engage this part of the prayer, let's not be too hasty to jump into a shopping list of all the things we want God to do for us. He knows what you need before you say it, because he loves you, he knows you, and he dwells in you. I see bread all throughout the Bible in the Old and New Testament. And two of the instances that came to mind for me um, was when Moses is, again, leading the captive Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land, and they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God provides manna, which is the type of bread for his people, physical substance for their bodies to keep them strong. And then the second thing, 
instance that popped into my mind right away was the Lord's Supper, right? At the Last Supper, Jesus gives bread and wine as a symbol of the provision of forgiveness that he's going to bring. So bread, all throughout the Bible, represents God's provision for his people. God cares for your whole being. The bread is both spiritual and physical. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Hmm. Does anyone else start like going through a relationship roster real quick in your mind to make sure you've fully forgiven anyone that's ever wronged you? Let's note, this isn't saying that you can earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. His forgiveness is free and it is a gift, flat out. N.T. Wright says that the only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus's people, was that the forgiveness of sins was happening. So if you didn't live forgiveness, you were denying the very, ex the very basis of your new existence. Let's hear this as an encouragement to live into our identity as God's forgiven child. The way Jesus lived was one giant announcement that the forgiveness of sins is happening. Not only does he tell stories like the prodigal son, where a son runs away and the father forgives him after he's squandered everything that he has, Jesus also shows us kingdom forgiveness by the people he chooses to eat with. Even the author of this, of this book, Matthew, was a tax collector, which means he was a social outcast. Jesus ate with the poor, the sick, the downcast, and the nobodies of the day. In doing so, he shows us the heart of God the Father that extends forgiveness to literally anyone who will receive it. There is nothing social, financial, or physical that can make you more eligible than others to receive a full pardon for sin. Is there an area in your life where the Spirit's maybe prompting you to fully accept his forgiveness? Or maybe the Spirit brought somebody to mind that you haven't extended forgiveness to and maybe you're harboring bitterness. Let's listen to those promptings from the Holy Spirit and stand in confidence that you get to partake in the central blessing of forgiveness as you extend it to others. And then the last verse, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's not, any, it's not news to any of us that the world we live in is out of joint. We are acutely aware things are not the way that they're supposed to be. The past couple years have definitely showed us that. Humans have made a mess out of God's creation. Every single person who has ever walked the earth, even Jesus, has been tempted. In what areas are you most tempted? Maybe you struggle with the temptation of comfort or convenience, of food, of intimacy, material possessions. The list can go on. None of these things are bad in themselves. In actuality, God gave us the desire for those things. Intimacy is a good thing. We need food and sleep and clothing. But it becomes disobedience when we take a God-given desire out of God-given boundaries. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are simultaneously confessing that we're prone to wander, and we're asking God to deliver us from the evil pitfalls that surround us. So say, for instance, I'm struggling with um, impulse shopping, 
and I'm walking down Main Street, and I'm just like window shopping, just checking everything out. There's a little whisper, and it's like, hey, that's a pretty cute shirt. You should go in and try it on, see what happens. But I'm like, no, I'm on a tight budget, and I have somewhere to be. I'm on a time crunch. I'm going to keep walking. And I go past a few more shops on Main Street, and I'm looking in, and suddenly the whisper feels more like a shout. It's like, go in, buy that vintage record player. You'll totally use it every single day of your life. Okay? And suddenly, it feels a lot harder to turn down a whisper. It, it's, it's so loud. It feels like walking away from that vintage record player is gouging out my own eye. Okay? So it makes sense to pray that God wouldn't lead us into temptation. In this instance, maybe that would look like the Spirit prompting me to walk on the other side of Main Street or maybe down University because I don't think anyone window shops down University. Or maybe God just would prompt me to stay home altogether. This is the type of provision that we're asking for. We say, God, lead us away from temptation, but when the temptation does come, would you deliver me from it? Help me to trust that your ways are better than my ways. So now we've looked at every verse in the Lord's Prayer, and we've learned a little bit more about it and dissected it to get a better understanding. And as I was preparing for tonight, I noticed three things about the Lord's Prayer. First, I noticed that it's rooted in the story. So we have the true story that a lot of us are very familiar with. The first is creation. We see, the, we see this piece in the Lord's Prayer when we realize that God is um, hallowed and honored. He's set apart from creation, but he's not far off. And then rebellion. There's talk of the evil one and temptation and the need for sin. Then we get to promise. All the father language comes from Israel and the promise that God made to provide for Israel. Redemption. Jesus is our provision. He brings the kingdom. He forgives us and enables us to forgive others. And then church, where we find ourselves today. We are, we are living as a people who are kingdom. Um, we are living as people who are in the kingdom, exposing others to the good news that the kingdom is here. And restoration. One day, the reign and rule of God will fully come and this Jesus prayer will be answered. The second thing I noticed is that this uh, prayer is kingdom-oriented. The, the reign and rule of God is being set up intentionally different than the way society expects prayer was, and this prayer was meant to reflect that. This prayer is not primarily concerned with having an, me having an easier life, but a rightly ordered one. And this is the tension, right? We ask for, give us this daily bread but people are still starving or lead me not into temptation and people are still addicted. The, our father, but we're still choosing to live like religious slaves sometimes. The kingdom is here. It's not fully come. And this prayer embraces the tension of it. The third thing I noticed is that this prayer is practiced and embodied. So it's not the sort of prayer that you're meant to repeat and chant like an incantation, okay? It's a prayer that's meant to be both lived and, um, both prayed and lived. It's 
meant to be both spoken and just soak deep into our daily lives. Friends, we are called into a relationship with our Father. He tells us how to do it. He gives us the perfect example of prayer. Prayer that breaks through human space to penetrate heavenly space. May we flinch more towards this type of prayer and align our hearts with him more today than we did yesterday. It would be a disservice if we left here tonight without praying the Lord's Prayer together. And so there's two different ways I want us to experience praying this prayer together. Um, you may have noticed we have some stations set up throughout our space tonight, and we will get there together in a little bit. But before we do, I wanted us to experience my favorite way to pray the Lord's Prayer, which is breath prayer. Breath prayer is really, really cool because you can take any scripture throughout the Bible and you can pray it back to God. And as we connect with the Father in this way, I want us to pray with our identity in mind that we are his beloved children. He's our Father. This is a relational conversation. And that also means that we're brothers and sisters, so we're going to do all of this together. I want us to pray with a posture of surrender. Surrendering and acknowledging that God's ways are better than our own. He doesn't just, we get to find our place in his story. He doesn't just find his place in our story. Let's pray with confidence that God will provide for our needs. He sees us. He hears us. He is a God of provision. Let's pray for protection. Let's not be naive. There's a real enemy. And we are in a fallen world where there's injustice and pain. We need God's protection, leadership, and his guidance. So we're going to pray this way three times. You're going to follow my breathing and pray in your mind as I pray aloud. Feel free to close your eyes or follow along on the screen. This is going to help connect our bodies and our hearts. And the Spirit might bring something to, to mind for you as you pray. Feel free to add that on to the words that I'm speaking. But don't fight the whispers of the Spirit. Instead, let them ebb and flow through your prayer. May you receive what the Spirit's saying to you, and may you experience release as we lay our burdens before him. So I'm going to speak, speak the scripture out loud, and then we're going to inhale and exhale together. Feel free to close your eyes if you want. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So we're going to pause here for a few moments to just continue processing what the Spirit maybe is stirring up in you. Um, and then we'll come back together in a few moments. I think a lot of times prayer can be something that's... Uh seems really ethereal or mystical. Uh, I'm not sure what the disciples of Jesus actually anticipated when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Um, but that simple prayer uh, that hopefully, honestly, you'll have memorized by the time you leave here tonight because you're about to read it and hear it and see it about 10 more times than you already have. And so uh, that's coming up. Um, and I just want to give you a little bit of an illustration, say goodbye to the families online because we're going to cut it off in a second. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next little bit of time, uh, about four or five minutes per station, and there's different prayer stations set up throughout the room. So we're going to save this one for last. When are we doing this one? Oh, look at that. should have told them to say amen during your sermon, Coral. They would have good on it. Uh, we're going to do this one last. We're going to come together, and we're going to offer up some petitions and requests and neediness before God and take the table together at the end. And so there was five stations. Now there's four to choose from. Uh, there's one up here. Uh, and then it rotates around the room, uh, one back there in that room. So when you bring your kids back there, just don't let them hit the buttons. Uh, but there's actually activities in there to do, so that's fun. Uh, and then in the room that's normally for kids is a room set out. And so uh, what they each do is focus on a different area of the Lord's Prayer. And so for us to be people who are mindful of what Jesus was asking, what we just learned as Coral taught, the idea is then to put that into practice. And so, uh, for instance, when you go into the, the room that's in the other side, um, when you walk through these doors, you'd go in there and there's a piece of paper. Uh, somebody in the group picks that up and reads the directions on the top. We're going to break into a few smaller groups. That's so not just everybody like migrating from one to the other. And so uh, if you're really feeling on your own, you want to do that way, just see where everyone else rolls and then go to one that nobody's at. Um, because we don't need to have them all filled all the time. Everybody's going to get a chance to do all of them. So if you go in there and you go in that room, there'll be a piece of paper. It'll give you a reminder of our identity uh, and then a starter prayer, which is going to be uh, asking us to have God speak to us and remind us of something he wants to affirm to us. A lot of times we feel like God's voice is always accusing, and that, that's actually uh, somebody else in the story who is the accuser. That's not the father. And so in the imagery of like when uh, Jesus was baptized and the spirit descended like a dove and the voice of the father came from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, spending some time in the quiet that's there saying, God, what is it that you want to speak to me? And then there's some markers and some note cards in there for you. If you are more left brain, right brain, uh, we encourage everyone to do this. Uh, jot down, doodle what comes to mind. Uh, that's official technical language, doodle uh, what comes to mind as you're in that space over there. And then somebody will come and say, hey, it's time to switch stations. And then you'll just go around. And if you go, if you start there, we can just go around this way if that works. That way we're not bouncing into each other. Uh, if you start at the kingdom one back there under the lovely lights, because you're like, yo, that one looks really good. There's a world map. There's little garden lights. I'd like to start off there, then just rotate over to the next one. And again, there'll be a piece of paper in there to give you guidance what to do next. Uh, and then we'll roll like that for the next little bit of time. Um, and the hope is that this helps us, uh, kids and adults alike, further embody the prayer that we just uh, talked about, listened about, but now put into practice.